This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. Good afternoon. Guy is off today. This is Rich Zioli from WPHD in Philadelphia. Great to be back with you this afternoon. Big show ahead. And we're monitoring the breaking news this afternoon. The FBI is uh, expected to address any moment now items of interest found in connection to Brian Landry. And possibly now uh, his body has been found. We don't, don't know that for sure. But they did say that uh, cadaver dogs had found a body. And they... It's looking like it might be his. We don't know. Obviously, this changes everything if this isn't the case, if this is the case. And we don't know if that means that he, he took his own life, if if he, too, was a victim of something. Uh, we don't know. But we're monitoring the FBI. They're about to speak at any moment now. We may take it live for you. But I should mention, too, we've got a, a huge show with some great guests coming on this afternoon. A lot of stuff on the supply chain still. And inflation. And wait till you hear the numbers of, of the uh, percentage of Americans who are just uh, upset right now by inflation numbers soaring in this country. So we're actually going to talk to Senator Cynthia Lummis about this at 335 because inflation is the tipping point now at grocery stores. They're even saying you may not be able to get your turkey for Thanksgiving. Or if you get your turkey, it, you, you may not be able – you're going to pay a lot for it, basically, is what they're saying now. So brace yourself for that. Then uh, huge 4 o'clock hour, too. I'm going to talk about uh, really what's going on with several different races, including the Virginia race right now, uh, Terry McAuliffe. And we got a great guest coming on to talk about the border, and that's Representative Roger Williams from Texas. Uh, the numbers are out on the number of arrests at the border. Shocking numbers, actually. Way bigger than anything anybody's ever imagined. Not surprising, though, but but still shocking when you hear the numbers themselves. Five o'clock hour, we're going to talk to uh, General Keith Kellogg. I want to ask him about a bunch of stuff. China, North Korea, Afghanistan. We'll cover all the bases. And then 535, David Asher will be here. The guy who's been nominated to be the ambassador to China said in his Senate confirmation today, he's not sure where COVID came from. He's not sure. And he doesn't, he doesn't uh, want to dismiss anything. And he thinks that we should be doing an investigation into the origins of COVID-19, that it could potentially have come from a lab. David Asher, Hudson Institute, he's long been saying this. He, of course, led President Trump's investigation into the origins of COVID. So that'll be a great interview as well. But right now, let's begin with mandate madness. As you know, the vaccine mandates are causing a lot of people to rethink their jobs, causing a lot of people to turn around and go, you know what, I'm not really sure I want to be here anymore. Yet firefighters chucking in their boots, literally throwing in their boots in protest, saying I'm out. Yeah, Seattle police, Seattle firefighters, they're done. Southwest Airlines has scrapped their plans to put unvaccinated employees on unpaid leave. And this comes as Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York City has just announced a COVID-19 vaccine mandate for all city workers. Now, all of this happening at the same time right now that a lot of Americans are saying, uh, no, I don't want to get a, a I don't have anything put in my body that I don't want. Maybe I've had COVID and I have the natural immunity. Maybe my doctor thinks I should wait. Whatever it is, 
don't mandate. Encourage, incentivize, inspire, but don't mandate. Give me reasons to, and I'll think about it, and I'll make a personal decision for myself, but don't mandate. Because we hate that. We're Americans. We just don't like to be told what to do. I know that that's shocking to a lot of people on the left, but we just don't like to be told what to do. And usually we'll make the best decisions for ourselves and our family if we're just left alone. That's the reality. Now, last night, Laura Ingram had on a, uh, a Washington state trooper who was discussing this whole issue of the vaccine mandates. And this is a big topic. I mean, you've got crime rising in cities all across this country. Washington state, Seattle has been nuts. And now we're talking about losing cops, literally Chicago cops, cops all over the country who may quit over the vaccine mandate, just go do something else with their lives. I mean, they're already facing uh, politicians that don't have their back, a public that's angry with them a lot. They get blamed for everything. So this may be just one more thing where they just say, ah, I'm done. Well, let's take a listen, cut number four. I'd say the same for us. What about all the homeless people they've allowed on the roadways to walk around and just do crazy things in violence? I don't see them wearing masks or getting vaccinated. It's it's ridiculous. It's a control thing. I mean, Jansley is a big uh, opponent of this, as everybody knows. Um, same thing. I mean, we tried religious exemptions. We tried everything legally we could possibly do. He even They even fired our senior chaplain. His only job is to pray and help people, and they fired him. Yeah, and why? Who, who's really worried about the chaplain? But this is what they do, and he's right. It is completely a control thing. Not only do you have homeless people out there that aren't wearing masks and aren't vaccinated, think of all the people that are flying in from the border, all the migrants who are coming in on those flights. I don't, I don't think they're required to get a vaccine before they board those flights. He continued last night, cut five. We're losing a lot of officers, but the question they're really not asking to these officers is the ones that are vaccinated, are they still leaving? And I can tell you those numbers are extreme. Um, the troopers that actually left today, the final number we got was 74 troopers. Well, okay. When I actually talk to the people, there's a lot more that just retired. Um, we have guys that just flat quit before they had to be fired. So there's another number. And then the hundreds of people that have been vaccinated just lost faith in this state and in the Washington State Patrol. So Seattle PD guys, the same way. Um, this is ferry systems. This is DOT. I mean, this goes on and on and on. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And what's the purpose of it, too? What is the purpose? Even if you interact with a police officer who's not vaccinated, if you're vaccinated, you're good. What are you worried about? What are you worried about? So, so what, is, what is the harm here? What is the concern? Really, what, what, could, what is the point of this other than control? I mean, think about it. You're, you're driving down the road. You get stopped by a police officer. Even if he makes you get out of the car and do a sobriety check, if you are vaccinated, what are you worried about? But this is this is the control factor of this is ridiculous. Today, CDC director Rochelle Walensky. She's never going to let your kids out of masks, just so you know, she's never going to let your kids out of masks. There was some research done on how parents feel about vaccinating five to 12 year olds, because any minute now that's going to be announced. Right. And what's interesting about that is it's about a third, a third, a third, about a third that say they'll definitely do it about a third that says they're not sure, and about a third that says they're definitely not going to do it. But that's also very telling that only a third of the people say they're definitely going to vaccinate their kids age 5 to 12. One of the big reasons why parents may want to vaccinate their children, they think, is not because they're worried about their kids getting COVID. Let's face it, as Dr. Nicole Sapphire always says, kids from ages 5 to 12 don't get COVID like adults do, like teenagers even do. So really, it's more of a question of what, what the side effects could be. And for a lot of parents, they just want to wait. 
They want to see how this goes. These are new vaccines. You can't compare this to measles, mumps, and rubella, vaccines that have been around for a long time. It's brand new. Look, I've got a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. I'm very nervous about this whole idea. And I certainly don't want a mandate. I live in New Jersey, though, so, so, you know, so my governor is a nut job. He may, in fact, just mandate it. I hope to God he doesn't. He says he won't, by the way, but he's running for re-election. So everybody knows the truth, which is that if he gets re-elected, he's 100% going to mandate the vaccines. Because he wants to be like California, and California's mandating the vaccines for kids. But a lot of parents may think, all right, if I get my kid vaccinated, can the mask nonsense end once and for all? Nope. Cut seven. As we head into these winter months, we know we cannot be complacent. We also know that um, from previous data that that schools that have had masks in place were three and a half times less likely to have school outbreaks requiring school closure. So right now we are going to continue to um, recommend masks in all schools for all um, people in those schools. And we will look forward to scaling up pediatric vaccination during this period of time. Masks forever and ever and ever. Masks for all time. This is really messing with little kids in particular who have to wear the masks, who rely on lots of different communication skills besides just uh, verbal to be able to process information. And I know for a fact that a lot of kids, especially kids with speech developmental delay issues, the masks make it so much harder for them to communicate. But who cares? Masks forever and ever and ever till the end of time. More control, just a matter of controlling people. Now, I don't have to go to a Travis Trick concert. I don't. It's a choice. Nobody's making me go. If I choose to go, that's up to me. And if I choose to go when I'm unvaccinated, that's up to me. If I choose to go when I'm vaccinated, that's also up to me. See, this is just entirely about choice and freedom. That's all it is. And if you're vaccinated, you shouldn't have to worry about somebody who's unvaccinated next to you because you're vaccinated. Unless the vaccines don't really work. So Travis Tritt was on Tucker Carlson last night. You might have seen this country music singer. And he's just standing up for freedom. Cut six. I started getting a ton of messages from fans who were basically not warned about these these mandates or restrictions ahead of time, showed up at the gate uh, and were turned away and uh, were not even offered refunds. So this is not about following the science or trying to look out for the safety of uh, of, of the people there. This is about something else. This is trying to divide people. Right. This is trying to shame people. This is trying to basically discriminate against people they don't feel are clean enough to be a part of enjoying a concert like that. And again, nobody has to go see Travis Tritt. It's completely voluntary. So if you're afraid of getting COVID, don't go. If you're afraid of getting COVID, there's lots of things you probably shouldn't be doing. I was at a big political event the other night for Jack Shitterelli, who's running for governor of New Jersey. Room was packed. Hundreds of people there. I was on stage, hugged people, kissed, but I'm vaccinated. I'm not worried about it. I am not worried about it. And I'm fine. I feel great. But that's the thing. I, I'm vaccinated. So I'm told these vaccines work and that if I do get COVID, a breakthrough case, I'll be okay. But if I was worried about it, I don't have to go. There's very few things that are mandatory in life that I have to go to where I would have to say, I need everybody to be vaccinated there because I'm afraid. In fact, as I think about it, I really can't think of any situation that I'd have to go to. Even my job. I mean, I don't have to work there. 
I could always quit. I could always just beg them to be remote. I could just take unemployment like millions and millions and millions of Americans are doing every single day in this country. I could just join the millions of people dropping out of the workforce. So that's what this is about. It's about freedom and just not bullying people and not forcing them to do something that they don't want to do, something that they may not need to do. And in a time when we're losing cops, doctors, firefighters, it's lunacy. Vaccine mandates are lunacy. They're antithetical to freedom. And the same people that are pushing them, they're all totalitarians who break their own rules all the time when it comes to masks, et cetera, et cetera. All right, we got a lot more to discuss here on The Guy Benson Show with me, Rich Zioli, in for Guy. Thanks for being here. Coming right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. By the way, Netflix employees are staging a walkout in the wake of uh, the CEO's response to Dave Chappelle's comedy special. It's happening right now, but I'll talk a little bit about that later in the show today on The Guy Benson Show. So San Francisco shuts down In-N-Out Burger for not enforcing their vaccine mandate. Because what In-N-Out Burger said was we refuse to become the vaccination police. They don't want to do it. I don't I don't blame them either. They, they shouldn't have to. Their job is to make amazing burgers and fries. And they really are amazing. I will tell you that. They are great. I mean, the burgers there at In-N-Out. Every time I go to California, and I haven't been in a long time, first thing I do is try to grab an In-N-Out burger. So good. But they said, we're not, look, we're, our job here is to serve customers and give them great food and be nice to them. That's it. That's our. That's that's all we're here to do, and we're not here to enforce anything with our customers, our employees. We're not the police. We're not doing this. All right, not doing it. And I say good for them. San Francisco then responds by shutting them down. So you're you're you know you can't be you can't be in business unless you do exactly what we tell you. Remember, it was the mayor of San Francisco who violated her own mask policy. You remember this? And when she was busted, she said, "What are you, the fun police?" That's what I talk about. These people are some of the biggest hypocrites on planet Earth. And again, what is the point of having a, a vaccine jab mandate for In-N-Out Burger? What, what is the point of this? What is, what is the point of any of this stuff at this point? It's just a matter of control. It really is. And that's why with the kids, you know as well as I do, they're going to mandate this stuff. They're not going to not mandate it. In most places, in blue places anyway, in blue places. Because they love to have the ability to control you and tell you what to do. And so when you have people like Travis Tritt and others standing up to it, I mean, good for them. Good for them because they're making a stand too. If, if people can make a stand and tell you to do something, people should be able to make a stand and say, we're not doing something. Why not? So the San Francisco Department of Public Health closed the In-N-Out Burger at Fisherman's Wharf, one of the popular tourist spots in San Francisco, at least it was, after the popular burger joint did not check the vaccination status of customers which violates an August mandate from the city requiring indoor diners to show proof of vaccination. It is owned by a devout Christian named Lindsay Snyder, and it's well known for including Bible verses at the bottom of soda and milkshake cups. 
They have 358 locations, but they won't come to the East Coast, which frustrates me because I really, really wish they would because I love their food. They said our store properly and clearly posted signage to communicate local vaccination requirements. After closing our restaurant, local regulators informed us that our restaurant associates must actively intervene by demanding proof of vaccination and photo identification from every customer. Then they must act as enforcement personnel by barring entry for any customers without the proper documentation. And they said we refuse to become the vaccination police for any government. In fact, I would say to them that they're putting the employees at risk by requiring that the restaurant employees have to enforce this stuff. I mean, they're not trained. They're not trained in, in, in self-defense. They're not trained in de-escalation. They're not trained in these things. So all you need is one hothead to say no to some employee and it gets physical. And then what happens? We fiercely disagree with any government dictate that forces a private company to discriminate against customers who choose to patronize their business. This is clear governmental overreach and is intrusive, improper, and offensive. 100% right. Absolutely right. But why is it that the government doesn't think about that fact? Hey, we're going to have you enforce our rules. Who, who the hell are they to say that? Why should any private business have to enforce government's rules? If you want to have a rule enforced, you have people that enforce it. They're called the police. So if there's an issue, send in the cops. Oh, but they don't want to do that in San Francisco. You know why? There's that mayor's part of the defund police crew. I mean, I'm sure of it. The whole state is, the whole nutty state of California is. So they'd be afraid that a, a law enforcement officer going to In-N-Out Burger to deal with somebody who's not vaccinated would probably r- result in the person maybe being uh, shot to death. So instead what they'll do is they'll, they'll have Skippy, the untrained 17-year-old In-N-Out Burger employee, confront people about their vaccination status. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? I mean, you've seen some people that work at fast food places, right? Not, not exactly the armed forces here we're talking about. Not exactly the Delta Force. I would just be very careful about, and if I were the owner or manager, I wouldn't want my employees doing this. Not their job. And sometimes, sometimes encounters with bouncers at bars, clubs, restaurants, the worst. A lot of these bouncers, they're real tough guys. Real t- you know, they have the power to decide if you get in or out. So they're real tough guys. You, know, you don't have to mess with them. But sometimes they like to get a little physical with people. There have been a lot of lawsuits against bouncers at restaurants and clubs. So maybe In-N-Out Burger should hire bouncers. Two big burly guys to stand out there and make sure to intimidate you to show your vaccination status. Yeah, why not that? Do that. That'll be great, right? This is the stupidity of what I'm talking about. It's, it makes no sense. It's stupid. It's dangerous. And it should not happen. And yet it's happening all across the country. And it needs to stop here on the Guy Benson show. We got a great guest coming up. Biden's inflation, this economy, all of it is causing a lot of people some serious angst. What can we do about it? What can be done? We're going to talk to United States Senator Cynthia Lummis about it. Find out her, her thoughts on this. It's getting really scary out there, but really scary for Biden's poll numbers. The Build Back Better plan. Oof, not popular. It's Guy Benson show. We'll be right back. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. 
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. It is the Guy Benson Show. It's me, Rich Zioli from WPHD in Philadelphia in for Guy today. Great to be with you this afternoon. Inflation is killing us. It is approaching a tipping point, and people are not happy about it. Biden's poll numbers are plummeting. People don't like to build back a better plan. Not at all. Joining us now, Senator Cynthia Lummis from the great state of Wyoming, Republican. Hey, Senator, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Rich. Great to be with you. Great to be with you. I I do want to ask you about Bitcoin, but first I want to ask you about the inflation issue that's happening right now. I'm sure that your constituents in Wyoming are feeling this. Uh, All-time high today. Uh, We're having beef, pork, chicken, uh, natural gas, coal, oil, fuel oil, all up in terms of inflation. These are the things that the American people buy every day. And then you look at housing, cars, the things that they don't buy every day, uh, but that are major costs for Americans, uh, all up. Uh, For example, in Wyoming, the same house that last year cost $305,000 to build now costs $385,000 to build. Now, just imagine what that does to your typical family of four that's trying to get into a starter home. It puts it out of reach. Yeah, it really does. And it also puts it out of reach when they have to buy stuff to furnish that home, too, because all the prices on that stuff's going up. If you can get them. What we're right. finding in Wyoming, that appliances, refrigerators, uh and stoves and um, all, all the appliances in the kitchen, if you can get them, uh, they're up. Well, is this the tragedy of the treadmill that's delayed, Senator? <laughs> well, I think we can all live without the treadmills. But quite <laughs> frankly, when you need a dishwasher, a refrigerator, an oven to furnish a new house, uh, these are essentials. Uh, so in and. I have I talked to my builders in Wyoming. Uh, one of them can't even get garage doors. Now this is going into winter. Uh, they're building new homes to put young families in, uh, and you can't even buy a garage door. These these kinds of uh, essential uh, items uh, are what has me worried. Uh, I think we all, when we hear them talk about. Uh, the treadmill and, oh, how sad it is that somebody can't get on a treadmill. We should be talking about things like eggs and chicken and fresh fruit. Uh, The the inflation we're going to be facing, especially when it comes to heating bills this winter, some of which are expected to jump more than 50 percent, are just astronomical. You know, when Jen uh, Saki said that yesterday about the tragedy of the treadmill that's delayed, it just really shows how out of touch this White House is with what everyday Americans have to deal with and also businesses, too. Uh, Senator, out here where I am in, in Philadelphia, I talk to restaurant owners. They can't find enough employees. And then everything that they have to buy to supply, the, those costs are going up, too. So now they have to raise their prices on consumers. Jen Psaki's very snarky comment about the treadmill, I think, just 
truly shows just no connection with working people whatsoever. Yeah, and I think that's why their numbers are going down. When you lose the connection with the everyday working Americans, you've lost all of America. And when you add the inflation issue to the vaccine mandate issue, which has whole families worried that the choice that they're facing is have a vaccine, even if they've already had COVID, or lose your job. And then when you go to the grocery store, you're facing these much higher prices. Uh, They are driving uh, middle-class Americans, working-class Americans away from the Democrat Party, away from the Biden agenda. And and it's showing, Senator. Senator Cynthia Lummis is my guest right now here on the Guy Benson Show with me, Rich Zioli, in for Guy. It, it's showing. I mean, uh, when you break down the support for this Build Back Better plan, as they call it, 62% of American voters say the administration's policies are either somewhat or very responsible for increasing inflation, including 41% of Democrats and 61% of independents, along with, of course, 85% of Republicans. So, I mean, that's a political morning consult poll. That that's pretty huge. It, it's important that the, the, the Democrats start paying attention to the American people. And they're so busy driving uh, the desires of their more progressive, far left wing of their party that they're losing touch uh, with the American people. Um, I was on the floor of the Senate earlier. One Senate Democrat came up to a Senate Republican and says, hey, I'm sending a letter to the uh, Biden administration uh, asking them to pay more attention to the American people. And basically, the senator said, hey, sorry, that's your party's problem. We're talking as Republicans directly to the American people about inflation, about the issues that matter. Uh, And uh, I'm not going to help you call attention to your own White House's failure uh, to communicate directly with the American people. If they would go in the grocery store or to the feed store or to the hardware store on the weekends and just let people come up to them and tell them what's going on in their everyday lives, they'd understand how out of touch they are with what people are saying, uh, not only in flyover states, but your home state, Rich. Senator, let me ask you, I was I was happy to hear you say that uh, Bitcoin cryptocurrency is very important for stability in the economy. When I think about the government going after people's bank accounts and and uh, weaponizing the IRS to be able to look at the ten thousand dollar transactions, I think it's ridiculous that that whether it's six hundred dollars or ten thousand dollars, I find this to be a complete invasion of our privacy. Another just another way they're destroying the Fourth Amendment of this country. this is clearly now an attempt by them to go after everyday Americans. They say it's billionaire tax cheats. I don't buy it, Senator. Uh, and you shouldn't buy it because this will go after middle income Americans. Uh, and even though they say that they're only going to use the data to focus on the ultra wealthy, um, if you're paying for a mortgage, and groceries, you're going to have more than $10,000 worth of inflow and outflow out of your account every month. And because Bitcoin exists, because now there's this lightning network that allows people to transact 
everyday business in Bitcoin, there is an alternative to the U.S. dollar. There is an alternative to having the IRS surveil your bank account. That's why it's, A, such a good thing that Bitcoin is out there, and B, so ridiculous uh, for the Treasury Department and the Biden presidency to want to use surveillance uh, on people's accounts. We know uh, that uh, there were employees at the IRS uh, that were using their positions uh, to work against conservative organizations and in favor of liberal organiza- organizations. Yeah. That happened. When Lois Lerner was there, we also know that there were leaks uh, about individual taxpayer information from the IRS. Why should we trust the IRS with this information? So first of all, I want to refer you to Senator Tim Scott's bill uh, prohibiting IRS Financial Surveillance Act, uh, which will attempt to prevent the IRS from implementing any form of the Biden administration's aggressive, invasive bank surveillance regime. Uh, But in addition to that, if they pull this off, if the Democrats pull this off, Rich, people will take money out of traditional banks. They'll begin banking in Bitcoin. Because of the Bitcoin lightning network, they'll be able to pull up to a gas station and use Bitcoin in a credit card just the way they use U.S. dollars. And there will be people that do it just to prevent the IRS from having that access to what's going on in their everyday bank accounts. Yeah. And I don't blame them. (laughs) I mean, I'm thinking about doing the exact same thing just out of the principle of it. Exactly. It's a, it's the principle. And that's what is so offensive to the American people. When you think about the regular, hardworking American, uh, the person that's outside your glass windows, uh, working construction to either clean or build on a building, that person owns Bitcoin. I talk to them all the time. And part of the reason they do it is because they don't want the government to know what they're spending money on. It's none of their business. And now the government acts like we work for them instead of the government supporting our freedom so we can live freely. Uh, this is a very different mindset in the Biden administration. These people uh, want to fundamentally change America, and this is one of the ways they're doing it. So well said. Well, we appreciate you being on the fight, Senator. Thank you very much. Senator Cynthia Lummis from the great state of Wyoming. Senator, thank you. My pleasure, Rich, anytime. And we'll be right back here on The Guy Benson Show. You're listening to a new generation of talk. Generation of talk. Guy Benson. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. So we talked about the supply chain issues with the senator. And uh, first of all, if you missed that audio of Jen Psaki's comment regarding the treadmill, 
Uh, and it was something that I, I heard it. And of course, you know, Peter Ducey asking her the, or somebody else asking the question actually this time. And she was, uh, I don't know, just very dismissive of them too. So it's not just our very own Peter Ducey, but mostly it's usually directed at him. Anyway, uh, cut 15. The president is satisfied that progress continues to be made. And one of the reasons that uh, there has been uh, so much traffic uh, in a lot of these ports is because there are more goods that are being ordered by people across the country. People have more uh, money, expendable resources. Uh, Their wages are up. More people are working than they were a year ago. And uh, then, of course, the infamous treadmill comment it was clear in March of 2020 when COVID hit that, that the supply chains across the world had been disrupted. Even as, as the sort of work to fight back against COVID proceeded, people, it was, it was crystal clear that things were not improving on supply chain. People couldn't get dishwashers and, and furniture and treadmills delivered on time, not to mention all sorts of other things. So why the is it- The tragedy of the, short, the treadmill that's delayed. Right. Just so incredibly snarky and unnecessary, too. It, it, the guy who has a treadmill store, it might really hurt his business to not have treadmills. Just think about that for a second. It, the a guy who owns an exercise equipment store and cannot get treadmills, maybe that's what puts him out of business. So now you have another store going out of business in, say, the mall or in the shopping plaza. Another store's out of business, more people out of work, and another place not paying taxes anymore. So, yeah, it's easy to just dismiss this like, oh, it's no big thing. It is a big thing to that guy, right? The guy who owns the exercise store who is hoping that somebody comes in and drops a grand or 500, whatever they cost, to buy a treadmill for his wife as a Christmas present for the house. Although I'm not sure getting your wife exercise equipment is ever necessarily the best gift. But if look, if she really wants it, I mean, go. But just make sure this isn't like a surprise gift because that, you know, you could be sending a message there is all I'm saying. And. You know, this could cause you anyway. So that guy needs people coming in to buy treadmills. And if he can't get them or he gets them, but he has to jack up the rates so much because they're so expensive for him to get. It's not good for anybody. But this is what I mean about out of touch, the, the White House being out of touch and not being able to understand what people are going through and not being able to understand what it's like to be a small business, for example, struggling to get inventory. Struggling, struggling to be able to keep up with the supply chain. You know, I read, for example, that uh, a lot of restaurants, which have already been so hard hit during the pandemic to begin with, are having a really hard time getting takeout containers because takeout containers are very hard to come by right now. And that's another issue for them. So they, they, they've lost a lot of business because of the pandemic. Now they're trying to deal with just keeping up with that. And they also have to deal with if they have delivery drivers, you know, the increased costs of that for the delivery drivers and gas and everything else. And now they can't even get takeout containers. So it really does matter more than just the tragedy of the delayed treadmill. But I just think you hear a comment like that from a White House official, the press secretary. And from for my money, it just proves what we all know. Out of touch, completely out of touch, period. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. He said, listen. We can help. Just send these ships through the canal. We're here to help. We're ready to go. Cut 17. You've seen the images of all these ships docked off the coasts of of various cities in the United States where there's a big log jam. That, of course, is impacting what we see in terms of on on our store shelves. Florida's here. We've got capacity. And we also have incentive packages to make it worth your while to be able to bring your business through our ports. 
I mean, just saying he's looking for business. He's not trying to chase business away with comments that are totally rude. He's just trying to bring people in and try to try to offer to help. And that's great. And, and why not? Right. Why not? Why not do more of things like that to help? But the situation in the port of Los Angeles is fascinating because what people don't talk about is that California has some very strict rules regarding truckers and truck drivers and regulations that are actually hurting the truck driving industry out there. And it's another reason why we have such a truck driving and trucker shortage in this country. But it's not talked about there. Because they, they want to act like this this is nothing to do with that. But of course it matters. And then you need human beings to drive the trucks. I know they're talking about robot truck drivers at some point. But until we get that in the meantime, you need to have human beings behind the wheel of that. And that right now is very difficult because we have such an employment issue in this country. So many people, so many companies, businesses that are looking for jobs. I just saw on Fox News a short time ago, they had the guy who is a grocer in New York City. And he was saying that the biggest problem that he's dealing with is that his suppliers who supply him with food and he tries to use small farms as best he can, small distributors, trying to help those people out. He says the biggest thing they're telling him is that they can't find enough employees to help. So so they're struggling there. And then he's got to deal with that on his end, too. So all of this is happening at the same time. It's like all these things are colliding together and. You can mock it, you can dismiss it, or you can try to address the problem. What is the problem? Why, how did this happen? And then what do we do about it? And Democrats are completely in denial on this point that, yes, they ended the $600 a week extra benefit, but you still have Americans with $1.7 trillion of money in their bank accounts because they didn't spend it all during the pandemic. And the 4.3 million, million people that left the labor force, they may not come back. They may not have a reason to come back to the labor force. They may not need to. And it's not as if the states are turning around and going, hey, if you want to continue unemployment benefits, you need to show us proof that you're working. You need to show us proof that you're looking for a job. I should say looking for a job. We want to know because that's how it used to be back in the day. If you were on unemployment benefits, you would have to check in. I mean, there's a famous Seinfeld episode of this where George basically his usual lies about looking for a job. But you'd have to check in, usually over the phone, and they'd ask you a question. Did you Were you looking for a job this week? Yes. And usually it was automatic, but sometimes they would actually ask you to prove it. And if you couldn't, cut your benefits off. Oh, not anymore. Big hour ahead on The Guy Benson Show. We're going to talk to a congressman from Texas just how bad the border crisis is. Even worse than you've heard, don't go away. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. It is the Guy Benson Show. It's me, Rich Zioli, in for Guy today. Great to be with you. The border crisis. It is a crisis, and it's getting worse every day. Despite what you hear about it, the numbers are out. 
And it is bad out there, even though the media does not like to report it. Joining us now, Representative Roger Williams, Republican from Texas. Hey, Congressman, thanks for making time this afternoon. Thank you, Rich. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. You're on the ground. I mean, you're in D.C., you're in Texas. You see it firsthand. Tell us what it's like down there. Well, I've been going to the border since 2005 when I was Secretary of State of Texas, and uh, it's like it's never been before. It's worse today than it was yesterday, and it's going to be worse tomorrow than it is today. Uh, the problem is the Biden administration, is, of course, is inviting the uh, this invasion of the illegals that want to harm us. Uh, the, the the wall that works so well is, is now beginning to – it's got gaps in it. People are coming through the gaps. It's falling down, uh, catch and release uh, – uh, is in play by the Biden administration now. Uh, the stay in Mexico policy, uh, you know, the Supreme Court says it's they have to do that, but they're not they're not doing that. Uh, it's a mess, and the problem is too. A lot of people don't think about it, it's the drug situation down there. The drug lords have, have have taken it over. The fentanyl we're we're finding every single day is enough to kill our population many times over. Uh, we've got young people coming over from the border that uh, are unaccompanied. Uh, some of them have a piece of paper in their pockets, got a name and a phone number on it, and they're told to call that person when they get uh, get to the border. And that person is either a, a, a drug person or a sex, a sex trafficker. A uh, billion dollars last month, a billion dollars last month, went between the coyotes and the economy down there, and it's uh, it's pretty unbelievable. It's it's uh, it's out of control. Our border patrol is overwhelmed. Our national guard are not not allowed to do much. Uh, and the Biden administration has sold our sovereignty out. And it's, it's frankly, Rich, it's the worst problem we've got in our country. And you know this, your listeners know this. This is not people from Mexico wanting to come over for seasonal jobs. Uh, we see what's coming over, and they're coming from all over the world, from Africa to Venezuela to Russia to China, and uh, coming over to hurt our country, not to help it. And it's a real problem. When they when they get here and they're allowed to stay, are we requiring that they get vaccinated before they're allowed to stay? Well, absolutely not. I mean, we're, you and I are required to get vaccinated, but we have people coming over from these foreign countries. They're illegal and they're not required vaccinations. In fact, in many cases, we're putting them on airplanes, as you know, and send them at night. So nobody knows we're doing it uh, in the states and they're not vaccinated. They have no place to stay. They got no job. They don't speak the language. Uh, so it's a real problem when they talk about how, like in Texas, our in many cases, our uh, uh, cases are going up in COVID. It's because we got all these people coming over here illegal for crying out loud. So again, Biden administration dumbing down our country, selling our sovereignty, wanting to hurt Main Street America and the people. These flights. I mean, it was it was unbelievable to hear Jen Psaki kind of dismiss it because it wasn't the middle of the night. But the reality is, people were shocked to find out about this. And then you bring the migrants in planes. Then they they get on buses, crowded buses, and they're going wherever into these communities. People have no say over the matter. Nobody asked us. They're not taking a vote on this issue. And yeah, to your point, Congressman, they 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 hid this information, Congressman Williams. They didn't tell us they were doing this in the middle of the night for a reason so people wouldn't know about it right and, and and the fact that they're doing it at night rich tells you right there they know it's wrong right they're hiding they, the fact they're doing it at night and and you see buses going up and down the highways so dark and glass and you got these airplanes bringing these people around and it's just destroying it, it's destroying what built our nation which is we want people to come over here and realize the american dream but gonna do it legally i have a real problem with people that want to come to america and the first decision they make is to break the law that's just wrong. And people have got to come through the ports of entry, not between the ports of entry, but we need help from from government. 
and the administration's just thumbing their nose at the people and rewarding the legal behavior. Yeah, well said. What, what can we do about it, Congressman Williams? And what are some of the things that need to happen? I know the Biden administration said it was going to reimpose the Remain in Mexico policy, but I don't really know if I believe them. Well, I don't believe them at all. I mean, uh, they're breaking all every, every which way they go, but they do need to reinstate that. We need to start construction of the wall again. We need to do away with catch and release. We need judges down there that can turn these uh, cases around and send these people back to their families or at least give them a court date. They're not even giving them court dates. And, of course, even a court date doesn't mean they come back. They get released and they don't come back. So the stay in Mexico policy is critical. But we do need judges to turn them around, uh, give them their day in court, get them back home. Uh, this is what works. But, I mean, you named the 1.7 million illegals across the border this year. And, if, you know, multiply that by another six. I mean, we're in over 2 million, maybe 3 million people in our country. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they're from. They can't communicate. They're going to add no value to our community, and they're just moving around, and it's going to, we're going to see it in crime and other things, not to say about our schools and education. I know that a lot of people in the Democrat Party in Congress, in the House of Representatives in particular, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the squad, I mean, they really truly do believe we should have open borders. They believe, I mean, who, who are we to tell people they can't come here? Well, let me tell you, that's the dumbest thing you ever heard of, because if without a strong America, the world's going to implode. And you have to have borders, okay? And these people that think we should have no borders, we should apologize to everybody, uh, they're not smart. I mean, that's just the bottom line. We've got to worry about China. China's laughing at us right now. And America must be the superpower militarily, socially, and economically to keep the world from just destroying itself. And we're not heading in that direction right now. So these people think America needs to apologize. America's not the greatest country in the world. Sovereignty doesn't matter. They're just nuts. This idea of 1.7 million people apprehended at the border, the highest rate it's, it's been in, in how long has it been? Well, at one point it has been since 1986. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And and getting worse and getting worse by design, too, because they don't think it's a problem. I mean, Democrats back then in the 1980s might have even thought it was a good thing to try to close our borders. But the Democrat Party has, seems to have changed on that issue in a, in a big, big way. Well, they have. And, and you know what, what? what is really a shame and how the, the, how you can even think this is this whole thing is designed by they think, well, we'll bring these people in. And we'll put them in red states, and they'll all vote for Democrats. Now, is that not an unbelievable reason to tear down our borders, do away with our sovereignty, challenge the integrity of our country and its people, because you want more votes and you want more power? I think they're going to find out in 2022 that the American people have had enough of this. And we're, we're going to get the House back from an election standpoint. We'll get the House back and work on the White House. But the idea that let's bring the illegals in here, let's bring people that are felons, let's bring people in here to hurt people uh, so they'll vote for us, and create a socialistic America. It's a shame, and I think it's, I think it's a crime. Congressman Roger Williams is my guest. He represents Texas in the 25th District, Republican in Congress. The uh, You mentioned the president's, uh, presidency and, and, and that race and getting the White House back at some point. Joe Biden said he wanted to expand the reasons why people could come to this country and stay given asylum. He, he made that a point. So this really is on Joe Biden. I mean, Joe Biden said it and the world heard him and the world said, OK, if listen, if you're going to give us asylum, and you're going to give us more incentive to come. We'll come and they're coming. This is absolutely on him. Well, this is totally on him. And the fact of the matter is asylum, you know, says basically that you come to the you come to the country that borders your country where you're coming from. 
you just don't you just don't bebop around the, around the world and pick a country to come. But but we're not allowed. We're taking everybody. And and uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's just amazing. You can't even answer it. And you can't deal with these people when you talk about it. They're angry, and they should be happy they live in America. I feel bad for Border Patrol agents. I know morale is very low. I was talking to a family the other night uh, in Philadelphia. Their son's a Border Patrol agent. And he was one of the guys on horseback. Uh, and, and what the president said about them, the, the lies that were told about the the agents who were on horseback. And President Biden said uh, they're going to pay. And isn't it interesting, Congressman, how the, any conversation about that has just suddenly gone away? Well, it's evident Joe Biden's never been on a horse to begin with. OK, right. and the- and the fact that, that they're going to pay, they're going to pay for trying to uphold the law. That's what he's supposed to be doing for crying out loud. He's the one that should pay. He sort of uphold the laws of the land and defend the borders, and he didn't do it. So it, it's all on his land. But the Border Patrol, I have a son-in-law whose brother's in the Border Patrol. These people are overwhelmed. And I've been down there a lot. I was down there just a couple of weeks ago. And what they're going through and what they're trying to do and do their job is just unbelievable. Uh, buildings down there that they're trying to defend their 700% capacity of illegals, uh, criminals, people that are true felons. They're dealing with all these folks, and we're giving them no help at all and no support from this administration. Congressman Roger Williams, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Keep up the good fight down there. We appreciate it. Thank you, Rich. And uh, these numbers that came out on the uh, the number of arrests at the border Highest since 1986, uh, the passage of the amnesty bill. It just goes to show you that unless there is a real mechanism to keep people out of this country, they're going to come into this country. It is the Guy Benson Show with me, Rich Zioli, in for Guy. We're coming right back. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. So Virginia's governor's race is now a dead heat. How about that, huh? This is a big, big race. Obviously, this and also New Jersey are the two governor's races right now uh, that everybody's watching. Everybody's paying attention to. So I guess the question that needs to be asked right now is, can a Republican win in blue state Virginia? Yes, absolutely. He can do not write it off. It'd be a huge mistake to do that. See, the entire premise of uh, Terry McAuliffe's plan has been just keep parents out of the education process. That's pretty much been it. And he's getting snarky. He really is. He's getting he knows that he's going to he might lose this race. It shouldn't be a dead heat at this point because Virginia has gone so blue. But you might have seen yesterday that uh, on Fox and Friends early edition, they had a bunch of moms on talking about the race in Virginia. They all said the same thing comes down to them. Education. It comes down to the fact that they feel like they have no say in their schools anymore in the curriculum and CRT and everything else. They just have they have no say in the process. And McAuliffe has said time and time again, you shouldn't have a say in the process. So yesterday during a uh, press conference, he got a little bit annoyed with a reporter from WJLA telling the reporter, listen, this is on you. Cut 18. I want to raise the minimum wage. I want paid sick days. I want family medical leave. Glenn Youngkin is against every one of those. He has a Donald Trump right wing agenda. He will ban abortions. Your viewers should be very clear on this. He wants to ban abortions here in Virginia. He says election integrity is the number one issue. No, it isn't. 
healthcare, COVID, education, job creation. Okay. All right, we're over. That's okay. it. That's it. Hey, I gave you extra time. Come on, man. You should have asked better questions early on. Yeah, well, we did. Good answer. See, he thinks this race is entirely about abortion and it's not. <laughs> but this is what Democrats do when they're desperate. They, they it's a, it's almost like the emergency stop on, on a train. You pull that, you know, in case of emergency, pull this. That's what they do with abortion. Oh, we think we're losing. So let's bring out abortion and try to scare everybody about it. But people are too smart for that now. They, they don't believe it. They really don't. And they don't even care because what they care about is their kids, the ones who are, in fact, going to school. And they care about the fact that they have no say in the process. So Glenn Youngkin, who is uh, running for governor of Virginia as a Republican, Youngkin is doing very, very well. And the polls are in a dead heat, as I mentioned. It's a big deal. Incredibly tight race. Incredibly tight race. And not just in the parts where you think it would be in Southern Virginia where uh, the Republicans are doing well. I'm talking about the blue part of the state, the, the part of the state that they say is solidly blue. And when you uh, when you look at that, you go, whoa, hang on a second here. Could a Republican win? Well, with a record like Terry McAuliffe has, yes. Enthusiasm gap and shift in voter priorities boost Glenn Youngkin, boosting him in a big way. Let's hear what he had to say this morning on Fox and Friends. Cut 19. He failed when he was governor. This is what Virginians want to talk about. They're worried about their schools. And what did he do? He brought standards down and left us with a failing school system. And oh, by the way, we're at a 20-year high in murder rate. And when he was governor, the murder rate went up 43%. So not only did he not do a good job when he was governor, but he has nothing good to say about it now. Suburban women, I'm going to read you this direct quote from Patrick Murray, the director of the independent Monmouth University Polling Institute. Quote, Suburban women, especially in northern Virginia, have been crucial to the sizable victories Democrats have enjoyed in the Commonwealth since 2017. However, their support is not registering at the same level this time around. This is due partly to a shift in key issues important to these voters and partly to dampened enthusiasm among the party faithful. You know why? Because of education, that's why. Because they've seen the schools shut down because of COVID. They're annoyed about the fact that they may not have a say in their kids getting vaccinated or not. And they're annoyed about the curriculum, too. They're annoyed about the fact that they have no say in that process either. Uh, Glenn Youngkin continued this morning talking about Terry McAuliffe on Fox and Friends Cut 20. And here's Terry McAuliffe, who won't even answer questions from a local reporter. And he yells at sheriffs. He barks at people all the time. I think he's losing it because he knows this race is slipping away from him. If it's slipping away from I believe it really is because of education. I, I do. I, now, I've said the same thing with New Jersey, too. And when I've spoken to Jack Cittarelli, who's the candidate for governor of New Jersey, the Republican, I've said the same thing to him. Look, man, this this entirely comes down to the burbs and moms and dads, but particularly moms in the suburbs who've had it. And they don't believe for a second that Phil Murphy's going to keep the schools open. The, the moms of Virginia don't believe for a second that Terry McAuliffe's going to keep the schools open. So this is why it matters. Cut 21. Loudoun County has been ground zero, been ground zero for a long time about what's happened in education. But it's the culmination of what's been going on since Terry McAuliffe was governor. He lowered the standards in our school. He wants to keep parents out of the loop. I mean, he said parents don't have a role in their kids' education. He wants government between parents and kids. He said to, he said to the nation, parents don't have a role in their kids' education. And then he doubled, tripled, and quadrupled down on it. And so now he sees that parents are rejecting this. And oh, by the way, parents are rejecting the notion that he's going to call on his friend Joe Biden and have the FBI come and try to silence them. I mean, these are our kids. 
And it's hurt him in a big way. From, again, the uh, Monmouth University poll, this is from Patrick Murray, the director of the polling institute. He said, quote, McAuliffe's sizable edge on handling COVID and his competitiveness on economic issues last month helped put him ahead in the race. But Youngkin has been able to change the terms of the debate by using his opponent's words on parental involvement in the school curriculum to shift voter attention on that issue. Not only has this eaten away at the Democrats' previous advantage on education policy, but it has also raised doubts about McAuliffe's ability to handle the pandemic. You know why? Because when you think pandemic and you're a mom or dad, you think your kid at the kitchen table. That's what you think. And if, if they don't believe that this Democrat can find a way to keep the schools open, if they don't believe they're going to have a say in the vaccination process of their children, if, if they're sick and tired of their kids wearing masks in schools, then they're not going to vote for Terry McAuliffe. Bottom line, they're not. And so it entirely comes down to what they used to say, kitchen table politics. Well, this is as kitchen table as it gets. Your kids sitting there at the kitchen table and being on a Zoom school class. That's as kitchen table as it gets, baby. And there's nothing that's going to change somebody's mind about that. If they fear that today, they fear it on Election Day. And then when you hear this this guy McAuliffe come out and go, parents shouldn't have a say in their kids' education process, it's because he's entirely beholden to the teachers' union. If the biggest races to watch in this country right now, in addition to these two governor's races, local school board elections. Local school board elections with fired-up moms and dads who've had enough. They're getting engaged in ways they never have before. I see it where I live in South Jersey. I see it with moms who've only voted Democrat in their entire life who are now running and getting engaged in school board elections because of these very, very issues. So this election in Virginia and in New Jersey, too, big elections to watch. It's the Guy Benson Show with me, Rich Zioli. FBI press conference coming up. What are they going to say? Don't go away. Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Guy Benson. It is the Guy Benson Show. Uh, We are watching the FBI just uh, had a little, uh, not really a press conference. They made a statement. Michael McPherson, the FBI special agent in charge. Uh, is it still going on right now? I guess we can take it live if it's still, it's, is it over? Okay, they just wrapped up. All right. Uh, so what we're going to do is get the audio to play for you. But basically they found what appeared to be human remains. We'll get some of the audio uh, to play. They didn't take any questions. So uh, they walked off for that. And uh, I think people were expecting them to talk longer and expecting them to take questions. But that's not what happened. Very, very brief uh, brief comment. So in the meantime, as we wait for that audio to give you the update on that, because it is pretty compelling, I wanted to mention on the issue of, of schools, just real quick, you know, the, the notion of public schools in America, and we've seen an exodus out of public schools. We, we've seen parents taking their kids out of public schools and putting them in private schools. This is also what's driving 
in Virginia, too. Parents being frustrated with public schools. And so it is a thing that is happening all across the country right now. And I think it's going to be an issue in 2022 in the midterm elections, no doubt about it. But the other thing that's going to be an issue is Americans don't like when their freedom is taken away from them. And they don't like when the government beefs up surveillance powers over them. And what the Democrats are doing right now with the IRS is ridiculous. With these new IRS bank account reporting ideas they have, all it is right now is just another way for them to have control over you. And that's all it is. And they lie. They go, oh, well, you know, all this is about is just uh, we want to catch tax cheats, they say. Just tax cheats. You want to make sure that everybody's paying their fair share. A big part of this is because they have to weaponize the IRS because they need the money. They keep telling everybody Build Back Better is going to cost zero dollars. You might have heard that, right? That that lie that their whole Build Back Better plan is going to cost big goose egg. First of all, nobody believes that. Nobody should believe that because it's a bunch of BS. And secondly, not even Stephanie Rule on MSNBC believes that. When you've lost MSNBC, you know you've got a problem. But this is what Stephanie Rule said yesterday. Cut 26. One of the reasons right now it's so hard to sell this to the American people Mm. because we do not know what's in it. There's so much in there and you don't know what's going to end up being the priorities left, which is why it's very confusing. She did say she's she does believe this thing is fully paid for. Right. She's not supposed to sell policy. She's the one who knows the math. And she argues, yes, it's raising taxes, but that tax gap. Right. They want to fund the IRS. So Mm -hmm. you don't have to change any of the tax laws. You just have to enforce them. She argues that over the next 10 years, there's 10 trillion dollars that could be collected. And and that's why the White House says this infrastructure bill, the sum total of it is zero because they say they argue it's all paid for. I see that's, a, that, 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 that's a that's a that's a mathematics that I am not yet familiar with. But um, we'll see. They have very ambitious plans. Yeah, because it's it's mathematics nobody's familiar with because it doesn't exist. It can't exist. It's fantasy is what it is. Now, Jen Psaki brought up this whole idea of the of this not not adding a debt to the uh, national debt, not adding a dime, excuse me, to the national debt. She said this, if you if you remember, uh, but just to refresh your memory, cut 14. I still believe that Build Back Better will not add a dime to the national debt. Correct. It won't. Why would he why why should Americans believe that? Because it won't go ahead. What if taxes that he says he wants to you know, get more taxes in? What if it doesn't happen? What if the economy goes sour? Lots of things can happen. Mm-hmm. What are you you're going to tell from up there future generations, not even born yet, that they're not on the hook for this? Is that right? That's right, and hopefully you'll report accurate information yourself. Oh, slow burn, slow burn, snarky, slow burn. So let's think about the tax issue for a second. They want to give the IRS the ability to look into people's bank accounts, $10,000 or more, under the idea of catching billionaire tax cheats. Well, that's what Jen Psaki said this is all about. And she said that to Peter Ducey, cut 13. Is the plan to catch billionaire tax cheats by snooping on accounts that just have ten thousand dollars in them well that's not exactly an accurate description so let me help you with an accurate description of what is actually happening here and there was a statement by the secretary of treasury on exactly this uh, where she said in this statement, so just to reiterate, she deep, deeply appreciates the work of Chairman Wyden and Chairman Neal's leadership on reconciliation and in particular the need to close the tax gap. At the core of the discrepancy in the ways types of income are reported to the IRS are opaque income sources, frequently of, which avoid frequently avoid scrutiny, while wages and federal benefits are typically subject to full compliance. So people who get W-2s, whether they are teachers, firefighters, 
employees at Fox News, anywhere where they may be getting a double W-2, that's not what we're talking about here. They're already reporting their income. We're talking about high net worth individuals who are not paying the taxes they owe. And that's what this uh, policy would propose to address. All right. So if that's the case, then this is just about uh, catching tax cheats, billionaire tax cheats, by the way, with $10,000 deposits. Is it really about that or is it the fact that they're going to be so desperate for money that they're willing to take average Americans, make them criminals and also just shatter the Fourth Amendment in the process? Well, Senator John Thune certainly thinks so. He spoke out about it yesterday. Cut number nine. This proposal, which would double the size of the IRS literally double the size of the IRS and allow them to snoop into every um, American's transactions, bank transactions. And as has already been pointed out, this is something that is so sweeping, we've never seen anything like it before, where you're literally talking about an IRS dragnet across the bank accounts of every single American or at least every single American who banks, because as has been pointed out, uh, any, any American who uses a bank account probably at some point is going to, in deposits and withdrawals, exceed $600. Even if it's $10,000, it's still going to capture thousands, millions of Americans uh, with this. And that's the idea, because they need the money. Because it's not going to cost zero dollars to build back better. They need the money. That's the bottom line here. So they're going to go into everybody's bank accounts and look, everybody's. Senator John Kennedy, Kennedy of Louisiana, he, he's always got good little quips to add to this kind of stuff. I always love listening to him. Cut number eight. Whether it's uh, $600 or $10,000, under this proposal, the intimate financial details of everyone in this room, of uh, at a minimum of every American who has a job will be turned over on a daily basis to the IRS. What could possibly go wrong? Um, Republicans aren't perfect, but this stuff is crazy. Uh, President Xi would be proud. Yeah, he's right. And here's the thing. These two run on the separate, the same track together. It's important to realize that you can't have one without the other. You can't have this kind of spending, this unprecedented spending without expanding the powers of the IRS. I mean, literally in the bill is giving the IRS another 80 billion dollars for enforcement purposes. So you can't have one without the other. And these two are absolutely connected. But here's the thing. The American people don't like this. They don't want to do this. They don't like it. They don't like the fact that this spending is being proposed. It's not popular right now. And people don't realize that because the media doesn't talk about that fact. But if they did, they'd understand the reason why Biden's having a hard time selling this. The reason why Democrats, except for the extreme left, has a hard time buying uh, buying this and selling this to their constituents. I mean, take, for example, Josh Gottheimer represents the 5th District of New Jersey, Democrat, moderate, so, so-called so moderate Democrat, right? He just had a bunch of wacko protesters sitting on his driveway protesting him over climate change. Okay, this is what I'm talking about now. His district is a district that was held by a Republican for years, Congressman Scott Garrett. Gottheimer, it's a district that could easily go back to being a Republican, especially if they redistrict a little bit and they make a couple changes, a couple tweaks to it. It could be a Republican district again. So Gottheimer knows that in when this is North Jersey, so this is very expensive parts of North Jersey, Alpine, New Jersey, Mawa, New Jersey, some of the richest towns in the state. A lot of people who work in New York or at least technically work in New York, but now probably work at home, uh, live there, pay taxes there. 
And they're tired of it. They don't want to pay more taxes. In fact, they were also told by Democrats that they would get their SALT deductions back. Right now, the the deduction on the state and local property taxes is capped at $10,000. But you got people in, in this district, for example, paying $50,000, $60,000, $100,000 in property taxes. They used to be able to deduct that full amount. Now they can only deduct up to $10,000. So Democrats said, oh, don't worry, we'll, we'll put that back in for you. But they haven't, and they're not going to. Because they need the money. They need all the money. They can't give any money back to anybody. They have to raise taxes, and they're not certainly going to return any money. So Gottheimer's a great example of this, right? He's a guy that knows in his district this is not going to be popular. It's the same reason why Joe Manchin's not signing up for it. It's the same reason why Kirsten Sinema's not, because they are from swing states. But there are a lot of swing congresspeople who are very worried about this and selling this to their constituents. Kimberly Strassel was on special report, and she points out a very good point about this, that this is really not popular. Cut 11. For the most part, government spending doesn't do a lot of good. And this is where Democrats are, I believe, are making their error because they have forgotten that lesson. They've been out there bragging about how big this bill is going to be and how it's going to remedy everything and claiming that these programs are exceptionally popular. But as Americans see the inflation that's going on, they fundamentally do connect that with government spending, which has already been uh, at outrageous levels over the last year. Which is why of that Politico Morning Console poll I referenced earlier in the show with Senator Lummis, 62 percent of American voters say the administration's policies are either somewhat or very responsible for increasing inflation. 61 percent of independent voters. The independent voters are always the voters you want to watch because they're the ones that could go either way. At least we say that. I don't know how accurate that is anymore. I feel like everybody's got an opinion on everything these days, but that's usually how it is. But it's not popular right now. It's destructive. And people see that. They, 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 they're getting a, a, to begin to get to a point now where they're feeling it personally. When they go to fill up their tank with gas, when they go to buy something at the grocery store, they see it. And now they hear that the IRS is about to be weaponized. And they hear $10,000 and they go, oh, I think that that could be me. If I make stuff and I sell it online, the gig economy, people do this now. If, if I'm an Uber driver. If I'm a if I'm an entertainer, there's a lot of people that are 1099 employees and ten thousand dollars is not that much money for them to make. It's also going to go after other groups that the Democrats have always sworn to protect, like illegal immigrants who make money and then have bank accounts. But the minute they hit over 10 grand, the IRS can look in there and then, then what do they turn them over for enforcement? Sex workers. I mean, the Democrats claim that that's their latest now cause celeb is is legalizing prostitution, taking care of sex workers. I personally have no problem with that. I mean, that's libertarian to me. But uh, you have some sex workers out there that will put ten thousand dollars in their bank account. And now the IRS is going to see that money. So now is the IRS going to alert law enforcement? I mean, how, how does that work exactly? These are all the questions that need to be addressed and need to be asked. But at the end of the day, if grandma's making doilies and selling them on Etsy, the minute she hits 10K and the IRS can look in her bank accounts because they need that money. This is what I mean. This is why this is not popular with the American people. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. So the FBI just wrapped up a press conference, very, very brief. I wouldn't really call it a press conference. They just came out and made a statement 
regarding what they found this afternoon, and uh, it's in a Florida park. Uh, personal items believed to belong to Brian Landry, and uh, also what appears to be human remains. Now, this potentially ends the search for the missing fiance of murdered blogger Gabby Petito. But again, it was a very, very brief news conference. FBI Tampa Special Agent Michael McPherson said the items, including a backpack and notebook, and the apparent human remains were found in an area that was previously underwater. Now, the Landry family attorney, Stephen Bertolino, previously confirmed the items were believed to belong to Landry. The Sarasota County Medical Examiner's Office confirmed the, the agency was called to the Creek Environmental Park. Now, his parents, Landry's parents, went to the it's called the Mayakachi Creek Environmental Park in Florida to uh, search for their son. So the FBI and the Northport police were informed late last night of Brian's parents' intentions, and they met the couple at the park. After a brief search of a trail that Brian frequented, some articles belonging to Brian were found. Law enforcement is conducting a more thorough investigation of the area. They didn't say what items were found at the park. Police did not respond to requests for comment. It's a heavily wooded 160-acre park, which connects to the Carlton Preserve. Now, this is a 25,000-acre wetlands and wilderness area where authorities spent days searching for Landry after his family reported him missing on September 17th. Family members said Landry had gone camping in the reserve days earlier. The FBI in Tampa tweeted that, quote, items of interest were found and that an FBI evidence response team was processing the scene. This, by the way, from USA Today. So we have a little bit of the audio from the news conference today. Take a listen. As you're aware, the FBI and the Northport Police Department and our state and local law enforcement partners have been searching the area of the Carlton Reserve for Brian Laundrie, a person of interest and the murder of Gabby Petito. Earlier today, investigators found what appears to be human remains, along with personal items, such as a backpack and notebook belonging to Brian Laundrie. These items were found in an area that up until recently have been underwater. Our evidence response team is on scene using all available forensic resources to process the area. It's likely the team will be on scene for several days. Clearly, if it is human remains and it's his, that changes a lot of the case and they won't be looking for him anymore. Also, you have to ask a lot of questions right now in terms of is it it his human remains? And if that's the case, what's that mean? How, how, How is that possible? So the FBI says it's an active and ongoing investigation. So it's not over yet. And yet... His family was out there, too. So I, more questions and answers after today's news conference. Truly, more questions and answers. But uh, there'll be a lot of speculation on this, no doubt. If people think he did it, and then let's say it is, it's his body that turned up, and they haven't said. They haven't said the human remains are his, or maybe a souvenir he took of Gabby Petito. Don't know. But if it's certainly if it's his remains, it changes a lot. Because then you have to ask yourself, well, how is that possible? Did he, did he take his own life? Did he, is, it, is it a situation where maybe he was killed by somebody in an attempt of, of revenge or something? So all those questions will come out, too. 
But they haven't said who the human remains are. And I don't understand why they hold a press conference without giving that information. I don't know what what the point of that is. Because now you're going to have every person on the Internet who's an amateur sleuth come up with their own conspiracy theories and their own theories about everything, which is what always happens in these situations. Hey, in the 5 o'clock hour, I'm going to talk a little bit about national security. General Keith Kellogg will be here. He's always fantastic. I want to ask him about North Korea. I want to ask him about China. He's got a new book out, too, called War by Other Means. North Korea fired two ballistic missiles into the Sea of Japan. And, of course, we know about China testing that nuclear missile that can spin around the Earth like something out of a science fiction movie. And uh, a little bit later in the show, David Asher will be my guest. David Asher is fantastic. I'm going to talk to you about the origins of COVID-19. You know, it's going to shock you. China is still not being transparent with us about this. I know you're as surprised as I am, right? They're still not being transparent. But Biden's nominee to become ambassador to China said today to the United States Senate in his confirmation hearing, well, it turns out he thinks that, yes, it's very possible that the virus did come from a lab. And it's very possible that he thinks thinks China's covering it up and that there needs to be another investigation. So we'll have that conversation as well in a very, very big five o'clock hour here on the Guy Benson show. Plus, I'll give you an update on the guy in Philadelphia who raped a woman in public on a septic train. Turns out he was supposed to be deported. So why wasn't he straight ahead? is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It is the Guy Benson Show. It's me, Rich Zioli from WPHC in Philadelphia, in with you this afternoon. Great to be with you. A lot of national security stuff to discuss and so grateful to have Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg here, former National Security Advisor to President Trump and Vice President Pence and the author of a brand new book, War by Other Means. General, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. How are you? Uh, Rich, thank you for having me. I'm great. How about you? Excellent. Doing doing fantastic. A little worried, though, about that missile that China just fired the other day that went around the Earth, and we didn't even know that it happened. Yeah, when you look at something like a hypersonic missile, uh, that's kind of the new stage warfare. You know, for the, for the listeners out there, when you talk about a hypersonic missile, you're talking about a missile that flies at Mach 5. That means two miles per second. You really don't have a defense for it. And They've got active missile batteries, the Chinese do, as do the Russians. And we're still in research and development on it. And that's primarily, I think, because we kind of lost the bubble on strategic thinking. In the Trump administration, we saw that when we came in, and we put $3 billion into the R&D effort. Because in the, under the Obama administration, they had stopped doing the hypersonic uh, uh, research for, for missiles, and we said that, that that's the way of looking going forward and looking at it. Look, I'll give you, a, give you a pretty good example of why that's so serious. 
when, when warfare is generally changed, when weapon systems change, the, um, the, the machine gun changed it, the airplane changed it, the submarine changed it. It all changed how you fight wars. Hypersonic missiles travel so fast, and there's no really an ability to defeat it in today's world. So you have to kind of think your way through how you're going to do that. And that's one of the reasons we set up the Space Force, so we would work on orbiting satellites to pick up missiles like this and been able to react to it from space because that's really the only way to do it. We put a lot of money into research and development. And why that's important, let's just use China as an example. You cannot close a carrier battle group close to the uh, to the geographic mass of China because the range of those missiles, uh, generally speaking, is at least 1,600 miles, not discounting the one that they just fired around the world. And it carries either a nuclear or a, a conventional warhead on it which means it'll kill a carrier even trying to get close. So this is something that we saw early on. We put a lot of money into it. But we're well behind because we just didn't have a strategic forethought of, of doing something like this. And now our two preeminent adversaries have it. And I'm so glad that you wrote this book because in the White House, you advised President Trump, General Kellogg, and you were very, very uh, strategic about China. And President Trump was as well. And there's a difference now. I mean, your advice to dealing with China, a tough approach, mattered. And it's clearly obvious that this administration does not take the threat from China seriously. Uh, it's obvious now that China is not afraid of us anymore. And it's a real problem. Yeah, you know, here's where, here's where you kind of make a point on it. You know, when President Biden went up to the U.N. and spoke at the U.N. General Assembly uh, about a month ago, in his speech he never mentioned China, and he never mentioned Russia as well. I mean, <laughs> don't you think you ought to mention your adversaries that are growing out there? And I think partially he may be compromised in that regard because of everything that Hunter allegedly did with China, but they are an, uh, an emergent threat out there. They have a real goal. They have an economic goal to take to, to really become priority in the world. They have a military goal. You can see that with the growth of their military. They're actually creating aircraft carriers. They've expanded the nine-dash line and all, all this, the Spratly Islands and the other islands they've fortified, which, by the way, President Xi told President Obama in the, in the Rose Guard, in the White House, that he would not fortify those islands. And he did in the South China Sea. Uh, would you see him growing uh, with the Confucius Institutes, of spreading their gospel around of, of what they look at philosophically and both politically? So we looked at it as a threat, and, and we started to push back on it hard. And, of course, some of the pushback we had was we were called xenophobic, which we are not. And then it, was, it really came to uh, a real head with the coronavirus, which we are pretty sure – uh, came out, and this is politely, at least inadvertently, out of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the Wuhan lab, and they were doing gain-of-function research on bat viruses, and it came out, of where did the first place get hit was Wuhan. What's in Wuhan? The Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is the only BSL-4-level lab they've got in that part of China, uh, and they were studying bat viruses, and look what happened as a result of that. So I think they're a threat, and, and I think if you just walk past it and not you know, think about it, it's a real problem. And I think Joe Biden and his team are just kind of whistling past the graveyard right now when it comes to China.
War by other means, a general in the Trump White House. General Keith Kellogg is my guest right now. Let's talk about North Korea as well, General, if we could, because they just fired two ballistic missiles into the Sea of Japan. Well, at least that's what Tokyo alleges. Uh, that's a real problem as well if North Korea is doing that. It also shows that possibly their weapons program is way more advanced than we think it is. Well, we, we, had, we thought we had North Korea pretty well under control. And that was because of the personal relationship that President Trump first started to work with Kim Jong-un. You know, I'm kind of laughing a little bit because, you know, the, the nickname Rocket Man actually came out of a conversation President Trump and I had one night late, about 11 o'clock at night, when they fired a missile. And <laughs> it's a great nickname, by the way. I love that. Yeah, well, when I started laughing, I kept Rocket Man. And I was thinking of the Elton John song. <laughs> He said, no, the, the guy in Korea, I said, oh, what do you mean Kim? He said, yeah, Rocket Man. I said, what's he doing? I said, he's trying to get your attention. And they said, well, he got it. I said, okay. And that's when the president said to me, look, this whole way we've worked with North Korea is never going to work. The best thing we need to do is personally engage with Kim Jong-un. So the president did that, and he reached out to Kim, and he started having – he had the first summit. He started to have a second summit, which didn't go anywhere because we walked away from it. And then he had set up this level of negotiation with Kim. And because of that, Kim backed off a little bit. He didn't do any nuclear testing. He didn't fire any more missiles into the Sea of Japan. And he, we kind of put his, his hand on his shoulder and said, hey, knock that stuff off. And he did with Trump. And I think what Kim Jong-un is now is saying to Biden, hey, I'm still here, and I'm an important guy. And I've got a nuclear program because I've started my new nu- – you know, I've started uh, the Aung San uh, nuclear uh, plant back up. And – uh, and he started firing, firing missiles. And was, <laughs> I said, you know, you better, better pay attention to this guy because uh, he's going to cause you problems going forward in the future. And we thought we had him pretty well under control, and I think we did. I think we had a second term. We would have come to some type of peace uh, time accommodation with the North Koreans and worked to them with the South Koreans as well because Kim realizes that if he does something stupid, he's gone, and he believes in his dynasty, his dynasty of one himself. And with the with the uh, with the Kim family, and he knows he knew that the president would eliminate him uh, if he did something stupid. And I don't think he's got any fear of this administration at all. And so he's kind of started shooting missiles again. And he does have an ICBM capability. He does have a medium range capability and has a short range capability. So is he a threat? Of course he is. And you have to figure ways to keep him in the box. Yeah, it's a great point you make. He wants to preserve his legacy. He doesn't want to go anywhere. And so if he thinks that somebody's going to make him go somewhere by, you know, by bombing him, for example, he, he doesn't want that. So he's going to be good. He's going to play nice. But if he doesn't feel that way, well, then he's going to flex his muscles because that's the kind of guy he is. I think it's a great point you raise. Yeah, he's also he wants attention. And and President Trump was willing to give these guys attention. Trump was what I would call a reluctant warrior. You know, he would only fight if necessary, and we fought when necessary. I mean, if you don't believe me, you know, you pick up the phone and try to call Soleimani, you know, that line's <laughs> disconnected. That guy's right. line's... Um, but he said, you know, we're going to reserve the, the military to fight only when we need to fight, and then we will fight convincingly to pressure the other side to basically back down. And he, he did that before, and he did, and that's kind of the way he looked at the world, the use of overwhelming force when it needed to be done. And Kim appreciated that because the president told him that. You know, the president told, by the way, the, the Taliban that. He told the Iranians that. Because when we killed Soleimani, you know, they backed off real quick and they were really quiet. 
for a long period of time. And I don't think this administration's doing that at all. I mean, you need to present strength. It's called force respect. Uh, and Trump was willing to do it. And I don't think they're doing that right now at all. And you, you see what Kim's doing. You see what the Chinese are doing when they there was a clear message to us when they when they fired that hypersonic missile. I mean, they sent a, a, an obvious message to me just watching it. What they what they said is, "Hey, look, we're stronger than you are. We've got better systems than you've got." You know, these are the same people, by the way, the Chinese, who landed on the dark side of the moon, something we had not even done. So they they need to be respected as a threat, and they need to be treated as a threat as well. That's an interesting point you raise about China landing on the dark side of the moon. And is this another reason why, General Kellogg, it was so important to create the Space Force? Yeah, you know, Rich, there was two reasons we did it. And the president had a great view of this. And by the way, just so you remember, Secretary Mattis, then the Secretary of Defense, pushed back on the concept of a Space Force. He said it wasn't needed. And the president said there's two reasons we need it. One, you need it for basically controlling space uh, and having the ability to react from space with our orbiting satellites and any system that you have up there. And the second was aspirational. So he said, first, you have your defense, which is important, and that needs to be done. We need to have a clear focus on that, not put it into the Air Force, which looks at land-based bombers or bombers in flight or fighters, but something that is focused entirely on another domain, which is space. And the second piece was the aspirational. He said, you know, what we forgot is that the young men and women of America want to aspire to something. And, and having a space force that aspires to get to Mars, so you first go to the moon again, set mm-hmm. up a base on go to Mars, that's what the kids and the young men and women will gravitate to. And we saw that. So he looked at the space force as a duality. One was clearly defensive and one was aspirational. I really think he had it right. And it, in the second term, we were going to keep pushing with the alliance between the space force and NASA, and, and commercial entities like SpaceX, and, and actually launch towards the moon and launch towards Mars at the same time protecting the United States. I think he had it right. I really do. And there were a lot of people who pushed back on it, didn't believe, kind of poo-pooed it. And I think this is one of those things where Trump saw through it pretty well. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and we're all grateful that you were by his side, General Kellogg. Last question, if I could. I got to ask you about Afghanistan. I'd be remiss if I did not. Had President Trump won a second term, had, had you been there, for example, to advise him, w- would this Afghanistan departure had gone a different way? I mean, I we all think it would have, but uh, you, you know for sure. And, and that's the thing is that Biden keeps trying to blame the president, the former president, keeps trying to blame the administration for all of his own mistakes here. Yeah, no, look, Rich, I'm absolutely convinced, 100%, 100% certitude it would have been totally different. So does Vice President, and people have said this, Vice President Pence has said it, Secretary, former Secretary of State Pompeo said it, Radcliffe, former DNI said it, uh, Robert O'Brien has said it the same, they've all said, we've all said the same thing. And look, here's the reason why. When we signed the Doha Agreement on the 29th of February, uh, 2020, we had a conditions-based agreement. And I tell people, it's public record, pull it up. Look at the, Secretary of the State Department website. The Doha agreement is there. You can see the conditions that we initially sent forward, and we weren't going to leave until those conditions were met. The second thing Trump did, which Biden has not done, is on, on the 3rd of March, four days after we signed the agreement, he picked up the phone. He called Mullah Bararu, the chief Taliban negotiator, and I was in the Oval when he did it, and he spoke to Bararu. And it was done through a translation. And he was very, very direct. He, Trump. In fact, I was sitting there, Rich, thinking, how the heck is this being translated? 
because he was telling Berardo, this is what's going to happen if you violated the agreement. And he said, we will use every means available that we have in the United States military arsenal to ensure this agreement is held to. And the agreement ultimately was going to be a government of reconciliation, where you had Uzbeks, you had Tajiks, you had Pashtun, everybody working together with a, a, a coordinated government. The Taliban would have been part of that. But it would have been a government that we had our hand on with military force that would have ensured that it was a proper turnover. And only when we were convinced we were going to walk away. And people say, well, there was a one May date. Yeah, yeah, that was a forcing function. That was to get everybody in the room. But I heard what was said. And I tell people, look, have them release the transcript. You can see what's going on with that. He talked broader not once, but twice to ensure that was going to happen. So the end state that you saw in Afghanistan wouldn't have been the end state we had. We would have had a negotiated settlement. Uh, it would have been pretty, probably not real pretty, but no negotiated settlements are, but it would have been peaceful. And we would have still had an ability to control events still in Afghanistan. What do you have now? When you look at, If you look at the map of Afghanistan right now, on one side you've got uh, Iran, a state sponsor of terror, and contiguous border. You've got Afghanistan led now by a a quasi-terrorist organization, and with another contiguous border, you've got Pakistan, which is controlled by their military and their intelligence services with nuclear weapons. You've got a, a terrorist megastate in the Middle East. It's something that would not have happened, and all yeah. of us that administration saying the same thing. Well, listen, General, it's a, a fantastic book, and you gave great advice. War by other means, a general in the Trump White House, General Keith Kellogg, thank you so much. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for having me. And we'll be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts. Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. It is the Guy Benson Show, and great to be with you this afternoon. You know, the general said a lot of very compelling things there, and he talked about China and the lab, and we're going to talk to David Asher about that at 535. Of course, David Asher, senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, uh, fantastic guy, very, very bright guy, and uh, it may be the last chance to figure out what happened at that Wuhan lab. And, you know, you heard General Kellogg say it. Uh, China's not going to be transparent with us if they don't fear us. China is not going to be transparent. And the question, of course, is would China do it again? So we will certainly talk about that. I also think it's interesting, too, that uh, an update I want to give you, something we talked about when on Monday when I filled in for Guy, a uh, horrible situation in Philadelphia. A man was accused of raping a woman on SEPTA, Philadelphia SEPTA train, uh, more than 30 minutes. Turns out, He's an illegal Congolese immigrant with sex abuse and drug charges, huge rap sheet, and he should have been deported in 2015. But here's the thing. Philadelphia is a sanctuary city. And anyone from Philadelphia who's listening to me right now remembers when Mayor Jim Kenney received the court ruling favorable to him in his pursuit to make Philadelphia a sanctuary city and did a dance, actually did a dance outside of his office to the tune of we are a sanctuary city dancing on his tippy toes going, we are a sanctuary city. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's terrible. It's like Howard Dean esque in terms of the cringeworthiness of it, but that's the kind of guy that the mayor of Philadelphia is. So, so this POS who did this to this woman on the train should have been deported. He never should be here right now. 
should be gone. But Philadelphia is a sanctuary city. So we harbor these people. It's what we do. We harbor people who are bad people who should be deported. And Philadelphia is not the only city like that in America. But what an absolute shame that this could have probably been prevented if we had just booted this guy out of the country. Instead, he's now going to be someone that we have to probably pay to incarcerate because I doubt the Biden administration will deport him now. And maybe he shouldn't be. Maybe he should pay. But the bottom line is this. Sanctuary cities are dangerous for a reason. This is one of those reasons. All right, coming up, David Asher will be my guest here on The Guy Benson Show. What is going on with China? How concerned should we be? And have we learned anything new about the COVID virus and its origins in that Chinese lab? We'll be right back. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Some major news that came out regarding the lab in China. Turns out the National Institutes of Health confirmed today that EcoHealth Alliance and the Wuhan Institute of Virology conducted conducted gain-of-function research on bat coronaviruses. So obviously, it's a big deal, and we were lied to. And I'm so glad, perfect timing, to have David Asher on the show today because he knows this subject better than anybody. Senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and also the man who advised President Trump on this very, very issue. David Asher, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Thank you, as always. Great pleasure. Always a pleasure, whether you're on my show in Philadelphia or here on the Guy Benson Show, I always appreciate it. So this is a big deal, what just came out today by the National Institutes of Health. Yeah, I mean, it just it confirms what we all suspected, that this EcoHealth Alliance outfit in New York that's been embedded with the Chinese communists uh, in Wuhan on, and involving the research into bat-borne pathogens, and uh, including doing synthetic uh, biology research and, and, and so-called gain-of-function research to make them more lethal, um, uh, was doing research that was violating the NIH's uh, ban on gain-of-function, uh, despite what, what uh, uh, Dr. Fauci had said. Um, I'm glad that the Department of Health and Human Services is... Uh, clarified the situation. Uh, I don't know that Fauci did, was deliberately lied about this thing. Um, I wasn't sure. I'm not sure how much he knew, but th- th- this is definitely something that we had heard about at the State Department and were concerned uh, was, uh, in effect, a U.S. government funding of a program for ch- China to increase, you know, create new pathogens that were novel and more lethal. And, in fact, that's what we were doing. I don't blame yeah. us for COVID-19, though, blame the Chinese uh, Communist Party. But, uh, you know, shame on, uh, on NIH for having uh, provided assistance and not controlled its money. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, the results of gain of function. So people understand exactly what that means. It means the virus literally gains a function, right? Becomes more contagious, more deadly, as a matter of fact. Yeah, they're trying to make it so that the spike protein, uh, you know, which is this, this thing that sticks up, you see in the, all the photos on the Internet and, and magazines about COVID-19, um, can bind to a human uh, lung receptor uh, more efficiently 
than uh, in nature. So they took a they took a, 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 a coronavirus that the Wuhan Institute had harvested in in southern China in 2012 and 13 um, uh, in partnership with the Zika Health Alliance outfit. Uh, they they took that back to the Wuhan Institute and they inserted. Um, uh, certain made certain tweaks to it. I, I don't know. If it says exactly what they did to make it more uh, pathogenetic, but they did create a new or chimeric uh, version of it that, beyond the one that was in nature in the cave. And indeed, it was m- significantly more lethal than the one that had been, been done in the cave. And that is gain of function. It gained the function yeah. to become more lethal. In the uh, in the letter from the National Institutes of Health, it says EcoHealth failed to report this finding right away, as was required by the terms of the grant. EcoHealth is being notified that they have five days from today to submit to NIH any and all unpublished data from the experiments and work conducted under this award. The second document is a genetic analysis demonstrating that the naturally occurring bat coronaviruses used in experiments under the NIH grants from 2014 to 2018 are decades removed from SARS-CoV-2 evolutionary, evolutionarily. And the analysis compares the sequences relationship between SARS-CoV-1, which caused the SARS outbreak in 2003, SARS-CoV-2, which is what we're dealing with now with COVID-19, and then WIV-1, a naturally occurring bat coronavirus used in experiments funded by NIH. Uh, and you've mentioned this before, the RATG-13 uh, bat coronavirus and also BN, BANAL-52, one of several bat coronaviruses identified from bats living in caves in Laos. And it says, well, it might appear that the similarity of RATG-13 and BANAL-52 are similar to SARS-CoV-2. Uh, they're not the same. And, and this is really problematic because it's basically, as I understand this, saying that they were they were doing research far outside the confines of what the grant was about. Well, I mean, at one level, they're sort of admitting even greater guilt because to get, you know, they, they, they by the way, they do say something even even more uh, sort of somewhat outlandish, actually, that uh, because he, the human genome is only 96% similar ancestor, the chimpanzee, um, you know, uh, and we just, humans and chimpanzees diverged uh, six million years ago. They're making it imply that you're getting from the 96% rat G13 uh, uh, version of COVID to COVID-19 would take like six million years. No, it would take about 40 years of directed evolution, uh, of, of normal evolution, 40 to 60 years, according to the scientists I work with, including from NIH. And uh, you could do it in a lab uh, to, 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 to do a sort of convolution, a directed evolution, in a period of weeks, actually. So that's like total nonsense to say it's like, you know, it's as, it's as different as between humans and chimpanzees. No, I mean, could, you know, you can't make a chimpanzee to a human in, in, in six weeks of lab research, but uh, with gain-of-function techniques that are standard in these labs, uh, in China and at National Institutes of Health, you, you certainly could do that in a relatively short period of time if you knew what you were doing. And the Chinese so, certainly did. Probably because we told them how to do it. I mean, we gave them the technology. They didn't know how to do these things until uh, Dr. Fauci himself in 2002 insisted that uh, a number of key technologies, including uh, what's called uh, humanized mice, were transferred to the Chinese. Uh, why he did that, I have no idea. That was before SARS, by the way. But, I mean, we gave them the assistance and taught them how to do this and gave them the money 
So, again, shame on us. So, David Asher, is this the proof then that, yes, in fact, this virus did come from the lab and was uh, a product of gain-of-function research? I think it's, it's the proof that the lab, I mean, was definitely involved in aggressive gain-of-function research to create more lethal uh, versions of, of coronavirus. Um, it is possible, and I think it's probably likely, that the lab uh, to create COVID-19, which I'm quite certain they did create, uh, used a bat coronavirus uh, that was probably closer genetically than this RATG13 that uh, NIH is talking about. And it may be that was one that we didn't actually fund the, uh, the, 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 the discovery of. Okay, but we did fund... The, the, tech, the, the transfer technology know-how and how to enrich these uh, coronaviruses to make them more lethal, and we continue to we continue to provide funding up to now, and maybe finally with this letter, the NIH is going to cut these people off for lying to NIH about what they've been doing. Because as soon as uh, Weco Health is forced to deliver on all the data that's withheld, including from dozens of members of Congress, Democrats and Republicans. Things are going to explode uh, as far as, you know, what, what, what we're, we're going to learn about what was going on in Wuhan involving this EcoHealth Alliance. And uh, hopefully there will be a criminal indictment uh, forthcoming against this guy who runs it named Peter Daszak because he's, uh, he's certainly displaying all the aspects of someone who's been engaged in criminal conduct from my professional experience. Where does uh, Anthony Fauci fit into all this? I mean, he's just the instigator uh, and, uh, of, 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 you know, these very aggressive programs to try to uh, outfox nature, and uh, you know, with, with science. And, the, the, you know, he didn't outfox the COVID-19. I mean, none of these programs that he, he developed uh, to do gain of function to sort of guess which way uh, a coronavirus would evolve predicted that COVID-19 was going to occur. In fact, they probably contributed to its, its creation. So, I mean, rather than predict anything or prevent anything, in effect, Dr. Fauci facilitated the development of this coronavirus disaster. Well, you know, I mean, I don't think he did it on purpose, but, you know, he was, he was willfully ignorant at best. Uh, David Asher, what about the whole notion of what's next in the lab? I heard someone say the other day that they think that a virus that's even deadlier than COVID-19 is probably already at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It's probably been there for a while, and it's probably one of the reasons why China does not want to be transparent about any investigations. Yeah, no, we, we well, well, ironically, on the Nipah virus, which is like 50 percent lethal, OK, 50 to 80 percent, actually. Um, the Chinese, as far as I recall, had declared that they were doing research on NEPA uh, at the Wuhan Institute uh, several years ago. Um, we really didn't understand that what that meant, though. Um, we were assuming that they were using this BSL Level 4 super high-security lab. Uh, what we learned, based on the work that Dr. Steve Quay did, where he, he looked at this, the sequences that the Chinese had posted for uh, the original people who had died of coronavirus, that um, they actually contained all sorts of stuff that looked like junk in the sequence. Actually, they were clear evidence of all the other diseases that they were working on and pathogens in that lab, and one of them was Nipah, uh, something we knew the Chinese were working on. But the lab that whose sequencer was posted uh, on this website in Europe where they post these sequences to, for doctors, it was a BSL-2 and BSL-3 level uh, lab 
that, and it was a sequencer associated with those. So those are labs that are dramatically uh, insecure. Uh, and never, ever, in anywhere in the world would you expect NEPA to be handled in a laboratory when they weren't wearing essentially spacesuits. Okay, because you know it, it, it's the type of thing that could kill tens of millions of people very quickly. So I mean, the fact that the Chinese were working on that in a, in a, in a, in a BSL two three lab where they were also doing the COVID nineteen R and D shows that the Chinese have a very large weapons of mass destruction related. Uh, you know, biological research program. And, you know, that's exactly what we learned at the State Department and we reported. And, you know, I spoke to Secretary Pompeo about it last night. And, you know, it, 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 I know he agrees that it's ridiculous that the State Department canceled its investigation under the Biological Weapons Convention into what the Chinese were doing in Wuhan because they were creating, in effect, the, at least the, the progenitors of biological war, or weapons. Whether this is a weapon, it was something that became weaponized when it was leaked from a lab, and they didn't tell anyone. But it was certainly being funded by their military, uh, you know, unfortunately, including money from our own taxpayers, who, uh, you know, because NIH doesn't have any controls over the security uh, of, of, of programs it's funding. I mean, they fund probably other countries' weapons of mass destruction programs in biology and don't know it either. But certainly in China, uh, you know, we were providing assistance in a way that was contributing to a program that may have not been designed to, to, to release COVID-19 as a pathogen, but through a leak, it got out. And then to cover it up, because it was a WMD-related release, uh, the Chinese uh, took dramatic action and lied to the world. And now we've got, you know, between 7 and 12 million people dead, if you trust what the Economist magazine statistics are showing. Not, not 6.8 million. It's a lot higher. And just amazing. Amazing. July 28th, NIH says no NAID funding was approved for gain of function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Today, confirming that EcoHealth Alliance and the Wuhan Institute of Virology conducted gain of function research on bat coronaviruses. Peter Daszak, EcoHealth Alliance, they knew it. They hit it. This is, as your point uh, sounds to me, David Asher, like this is certainly something deserving of a criminal inquiry. No doubt about it. It's, I think it's like the Watergate of medicine we're starting to see here involving yeah. the, 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 you know, and we got multiple levels of cover up. We got the Chinese cover up, we got the State Department cover up, we got the the intelligence community's cover up because like this all violates the, their own assessment of what was going on that they put out a couple of months ago, and uh, now we've got an NIH cover up which is being uncovered by NIH's uh, new uh, leadership. I mean, now that Dr. Collins is stepping aside, this guy who who's the principal deputy director, Larry Tabak, uh, signed the, the letter. And so obviously NIH is trying to save its, uh, save its stuff. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the truth coming out and the American people in the world are, are going to learn some of the same things that we knew at the State Department. And they will be, I, I, I trust me, as, as alarmed, if not more alarmed than we are. David Asher, as always, you are on the cutting edge of this, my friend. We're grateful to have you and your investigative work on this. Thank God you were at the State Department managing this for us. I just wish you were still there. David Asher, Senior Fellow at the Hudson Institute. Thank you so much, my friend. Continuing to fight there at Hudson. Thank you. Take care. And we'll be right back here on The Guy Benson Show. Don't go away. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Saving tens of millions of barrels of oil. Dealing with cleaning up the air. This is not hyperbole, this is a fact. These are facts. Right now, when I went out to Silicon Valley, they showed we're in a situation where 
If you put solar panels on your roof, guess what? When, when the sun's not shining, you're in trouble. Except they have now battery technology. You can have batteries in your basement about the size of the width of this podium and about that thick that keep you going for seven days. Joe Biden's yelling in Scranton right now. Just kind of taking a little bit of it for you to listen to. Keep going here for a bit. American Transit. I remember riding the trolley. I lived at the end of the line, as they say, in Greenridge. Three blocks, the end of the line. Beyond the end of the line were the dumps. But Maloney Field was on the right. And the Little League baseball field I played in was down the bottom of the hill. But the point is, it made it work. Most what people live point? in cities. You know, the vast majority of people now, working people, live in cities. Their jobs are out of town, no longer in town. No longer in town. But 65% do not own an automobile. They live in a black or Hispanic neighborhood or a poor neighborhood. And all the time they waste trying to get to work. Look, more than $7 billion to build out the national network of electric vehicle charging stations. All right, this is Joe Biden in Scranton. I can tell you that uh, as a guy who lives in South Jersey and broadcasts out of Philadelphia, nobody really considers Joe Biden to be from Scranton. It really is not a thing. I mean, it's really just not. But, hey, you know, all right. Uh, He's still playing that game, still playing that card. By the way, I want to mention to you that the Netflix CEO apologized for having principles. The CEO, Ted Sarandos, buckled under pressure. Now, it's still standing by the Netflix special, but apologizing because Netflix employees have once again shown that if they yell loud enough, if they scream loud enough, they'll get their way. And Dave Chappelle is a comedian who made jokes, and they don't like the fact that they disagree with some of their jokes, and so they decided today to walk out, and they decided to hold a big protest and march against Netflix. And uh, what's amazing to me is that people like Wanda Sykes, who's a comedian, retweeting this walkout and saying, you know, great for you. I stand by you. Solidarity. I mean, this is the embrace of cancel culture. This is the very embrace of let's get rid of anything we don't like. Just get rid of it. I don't want to be offended by anything. I deserve not to be offended. So if I'm offended, you need to censor your content because I deserve not to be offended. It's the ultimate actually entitlement culture in addition to cancel culture. Because I'm entitled to not have a, a, a something I don't like on Netflix. I'm entitled to not even have to see it. Forget the fact that I don't have to watch it. I, I, I'm, I'm entitled to not even have to see it there. And it's pathetic. It really is. And if you don't like Netflix and you work there, just quit. Leave. Go get another job. Instead, employees want to change the company to suit their whims, and now they want the company to enjoy things like disclaimers and censorship and everything else. It is pathetic, honestly, pathetic, especially when you watch the special and realize Dave Chappelle is not a hateful guy. Hey, it's been a pleasure to fill in again today for Guy Benson to hang out with you. Uh, I'll be in Philadelphia, WPHT, 1210 a.m. on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Have a great rest of your day today. Thanks for the team for producing. Dan, Wyatt, guys did a great job. As always, we'll talk again soon.
Listen to be part of the conversation with me, Brian Kilmeade. I'll talk about the biggest stories of the day and get your take along with some of the biggest newsmakers around. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at FoxNewsPodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.